You're listening to the Memphis MedCast, a podcast series from Memphis Medical Society. Find out more about our mission and services at mdmemphis.org. Hey friends, glad we're back bringing you some more original content from Memphis MedCast. This episode focuses on some interviews we recently did with candidates running for several Shelby County offices. We hope you enjoy them. Hey, welcome back everybody to uh, Memphis Medical Society's Meet the Candidates interviews. I'm Clint Cummins, CEO of Memphis Medical Society. I'm joined today by Dr. George Woodbury, uh, the Medical Society's legislative chairman and a dermatologist uh, here locally. And our special guest today is a Democratic candidate for District 83, Jerry Green. Jerry, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you taking some time to speak with me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to get right to the questions and uh, get you out of here as soon as we can. Uh, so, Jerry, the first question is, uh, back this summer, uh, Governor Lee issued Executive Order Number 15. Among the provisions in that order uh, include the ability for nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. Uh, what's your position on the expansion of scope of practice for professions like nurse practitioners and physician assistants? It's funny, when you first sent me these questions, my husband's best friend was in town, and he's a acute care nurse practitioner at John Hopkins, and his brother is also a surgical tech, and his father was the chief medical officer at the hospital in Tupelo for decades. So he has seen it both from the doctor side and from the nurse practitioner side, so I said, hey, these guys are asking me this question, and I want to hear from somebody who's in the field and knows what it is. And our discussion involved around two main things. And one was how the pandemic has really reframed so many things in our society. Um, And the other was patient care, right? So thinking about those two things, of course, doctors have more training, more education. Look, I'm an attorney and I wouldn't want my paralegal going in and trying a death penalty case, right? There are different levels of training. That being said, there is definitely a place for them. And you want that support, you need that support so that you can focus on the more serious cases, in my opinion. And that serves the patient better. There are things that are going on right now that we need to make sure that our patients are covered. So if it's a rural area, you know, not like District 83, where we have lots of wonderful doctors, lots of wonderful hospitals, maybe nurse practitioners all they've got out there and we need to make sure that the patients are getting served but here in district 83 we have lots of wonderful physicians and lots of wonderful hospitals and so i want people to get the best care possible that being said i do think there is definitely a place for people like my husband's best friend who is um, a talented and wonderfully intelligent person and great bedside manner to help serve patients better. So I see um, their role as easing the burdens on doctors. Let me give you an example in my own life this year. In the middle of a pandemic, evidently I was not clear enough, I have three children. Many times I have said, don't do that, stop doing that. We cannot go to a hospital in the middle of a pandemic. I ended up in the hospital twice in the middle of this pandemic. (laughs) Both of my sons, my oldest who is 10 and my youngest who is three, ended up getting stitches near their eyes. One of them right here and one of them right here. Two stitches, five stitches. My older son who got the two stitches, a nurse put in his stitches. My younger son who is three that got five stitches here, a doctor put in his stitches. Do you know what I cared about? 
I cared about my baby. <laughs> I cared about my child getting the best care possible. And it did not matter to me in that moment as a mother who was putting in those stitches. I just wanted my child to get the care they needed to get their wound taken care of, to be seen and to get out of the hospital as fast as possible. <laughs> so that's, that's where I come at from this issue. I, I do want you to know that I am an attorney. And so I, I do like to examine issues in depth and I want to hear from your membership about why this is such an important issue for you and how you feel about it because you have the firsthand knowledge, you know, for many years, when I left Georgetown Law School, I was a public defender. And so when people ask me about issues around criminal law, I have a vast knowledge of it because I saw a huge amount of cases upfront and personal for many years being an advocate. I can speak on that issue. You guys will have to talk to me about what concerns you and what you see. But what I will tell you is my focus will always be on getting our patients throughout the state, including in District 83, the best care they can. Okay. Uh, we're going to keep rolling with the questions. Um, so throughout the pandemic, a lot of difficult decisions being made today that force business owners, parents like yourself, uh, policymakers, and really everybody to balance personal physical health and even community health with economic health and that desire to get back to business as we um, hear so often. Can you talk about your thought process when you're faced with those kinds of challenges if you're elected? Well, as I've mentioned, I'm a lawyer, and so I believe in relying on facts. I'm also a mother, and so I care about the well-being of my children and others. Um, my mother personally has rheumatoid arthritis and takes immunosuppressing drugs, and so it matters to me not only how people in my household act, but how other people act. And I'm just a firm believer that we need to listen to doctors, to scientists, to the data, to the facts, Right now, we are seeing a lack of action lead to higher hospitalization rates, higher infection rates, higher death rates in Tennessee. Right now, as we're speaking, we're about to hit the highest all time. And I think that comes from a void of leadership. Look, I want everybody to get back to work, to get back to playing football, to whatever it is that we enjoyed on life on the other side. But we can't enjoy our livelihoods if we're not alive. And that's just the bottom line for me. So I will always put our community health at the forefront. Um, I think for many generations now, we have not been asked as a society to get together and to sacrifice as a whole, maybe not since World War II with you know Russians and Liberty Gardens and things like that. And we have a strong sense of individualism in our country, in our history of, you know, you take care of you and you pull up yourself by your bootstraps and individual success and that's all fine but we need to understand and i hope we do i hope this is the silver lining of this pandemic is how interconnected we all are and so on while we're trying to get to the other side to restore our freedoms we have to put public health first all right so um speaking of kind of challenges we're going to be faced with um Inevitably, our state's going to face some economic challenges because of uh, COVID, you know, mostly revenue decreases. Um, when you're faced with that situation of inevitable cuts, uh, how do you prioritize those and would you cut healthcare spending? I, I think it would be um, unconscionable at this moment to cut healthcare spending in the middle of a pandemic. There are ways that we can bring money in right now. We could start by bringing in the federal tax dollars that are waiting there for us. 
to help make healthcare affordable and accessible to more Tennesseans that we're leaving millions and millions on the table. There are also wasteful programs that we have right now that can be cut. Let me give you one example. The Tennessee Achievement Districts in our education system has over the years cost the state billions of dollars. It is being called to be ended, but we're not ending it immediately. And there's no date set. We've already decided that this is a program that is wasteful and that is failing our students, but we're continuing to put tax dollars into it. We also continue to fight legislation, um, pass laws that are unconstitutional, and then once they're held unconstitutional by one level of court, we continue to fight it up and up again. That costs your tax dollars and my tax dollars. That's wasteful in my opinion. I'm an attorney. I'm not going to be passing laws that are unconstitutional, and I'm certainly not going to be asking you to spend your tax dollars for me to fight them in court in hopes that they get overturned. So there are millions of dollars in our budget that we can put back into other programs. We, I'm not sure we have to make cuts. We have a rainy day fund that is in the billions of dollars. It's pouring. It's Noah's Ark out there right now. Now is when we tap into that rainy day fund. So I, I am hopeful that with cutting out wasteful programs and adding in tax dollars from the federal government that are waiting there for us, we wouldn't have to touch any healthcare dollars. And that would certainly never be my priority in the middle of a global pandemic. Okay. So uh, those are all our questions, Jerry. We've uh, left some time here at the end. If you want to talk about any other issues that we haven't talked about or expand on anything, here's a, here's a couple minutes for you to say what's on your mind. Um, I just would like to tell you guys, I am an attorney. I'm an advocate for people who normally don't have a voice or don't have their voice heard. I am an activist. I've been long involved with um, passing gun sense legislation because I've been a gun violence survivor three times over. And I know that that's an issue for many doctors around. I know there was a whole campaign. This is our lane um, because you are the ones that have to deal with that on the other side. And I'm willing to ready to partner with people to try to enact uh, legislation so less people end up in your hospitals. But Above everything else, um, as I've mentioned before today, I'm a mother and I am deeply invested in this community and in this state because I have three children. Those are my legacy when I leave this earth. I live here, I work here, I'm from Memphis, my home is here, my children are in school here. I want to see this place sur survive and thrive through this pandemic and beyond. And so I would love to have your support. I would love to work with Dr. Woodbury and others when we get to the Capitol to see what we can do, not just in the healthcare arena, but in other places, whether it is education or the environment, um, to make sure that we are leaving Tennessee better than it is today. All right, Jerry, that sounds good. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today and uh, spending some of your day with us. Uh, Dr. Woodbury, thank you for joining us. Um, Jerry, good luck to you on the campaign trail and uh, maybe we'll see you down the road. The Zoom trail, yes. <laughs> yeah, the Zoom Thanks trail. for your time. Thank you. Take care, Jerry. Hello again out there, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us for another session of Meet the Candidates, uh, focused on our general election here in Shelby County. I'm Clint Cummins, CEO of the Memphis Medical Society. I'm joined today by Dr. George Woodbury, our legislative chairman and a local dermatologist. Hey, Dr. Woodbury, thanks for joining us. Thanks. And our uh, guest today is our incumbent Republican from District 83, Mr. Mark White. Uh, Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Clint. Dr. Woodbury, appreciate it. Yeah, uh, we've got a few questions for you. We're going to um, cut straight to it and try to get you out of here pretty soon. Um, 
Mark, over the summer, Governor Lee issued Executive Order 15. Uh, one of the um, uh, provisions in that order included the ability for nurse practitioners uh, to practice with autonomy. What's your position on the expansion of scope of practice for nurse practitioners and uh, physician assistants? Right. Well, as you know, I've been up there 11 years, and as Dr. Woodbury knows, we've had many, many conversations. Uh, I have uh, come down on the side of the same really position that TMA has had. Uh, there, of course, there's a big push for, for our NPs uh, to want to have uh, uh, the autonomy that they requested. I'm a big believer in uh, education and that uh, the number of years that the medical doctors spend extra going through that is very, uh, is very critical. Uh, my sister is a nurse practitioner, by the way, in down in South Mississippi. And I asked her that question because she's, she's 73 and been practicing a long time. And I asked her about it and she, she actually, her, her comment was, uh, we both worked together in the country of Panama and she went down to Ecuador a couple years ago and got a uh, degree in tropical diseases because we, she experiences a lot of those in Panama. And she said, after working with that, she said, I really realized that those additional years that you go through in education are critical, that it helps you so much. I said, well, well would you feel comfortable practicing on your own? She said, well, you know, I do a lot of, of things, but not to have sole source autonomy and whatnot. So that was her opinion. And so I've always sided with that. Now, having said that, I know there, this bill is before us every year and it's gonna be up there again. And I understand that TMA has trying to find a compromise, which is what I would like to, if, if we're gonna keep doing this, I don't want legislators personally. You know, my background is education, it's not in the medical field. We have lawyers, we have, we have people all the spectrum, you know, have small business owners. We, uh, some people are, are owners of a pest control company. And, teachers and ju judges. So we're all of, and for have us to determine a critical issue like this for the, uh, for the medical field, I, I think we'd be better off to listen and try to come up with a compromise if that if that's possible with, with the medical doctors, but those additional years of education. Now what the uh, governor did because of COVID, especially, um, you know, temporary uh, may be okay, but I don't think it should be uh, long-term until we, uh, really try to figure out the best possible way forward. All right. Uh, thank you. We're going to keep rolling with the questions. Um, so a lot of difficult decisions being made throughout the pandemic that force, um, you know, business owners, parents, policymakers, whoever you are, uh, to really have to balance their personal physical health and the health of their community with economic health, that kind of getting back to business dynamic. Can you just talk about your thought process when you're faced with those types of decisions and how you balance one versus the other? Yeah. And isn't that the tough thing right now that we're all going under? Now, my focus is chair of house education it is, uh, you know, trying to figure out, get, get children back in schools. I kind of look like this, like me. I, I'm, I don't get on one side or the other at first. I try to listen and find a solution, whether that be a compromise or, let's talk this out. We're all smart enough. I kind of, kind of compare what's going on right now is to, uh, an economics, the Laffer curve familiar with the art Laffer under Ronald Reagan His uh, belief is that as you raise taxes, either on business or on the public to bring in more money for your state or, or the government, uh, 
there comes a point in time where you can hit a certain apex and decreased revenue comes into your state. And so then it starts going back down. So uh, I kind of see compare that to where we are right now in this. I know we got to pay attention to the, what the health community says, you know, and there's a big debate now between like the Shelby County Department of Health and our municipalities or rural areas and schools and everything. So even though I believe we got to pay attention to the health and the science, like the Laffer curve, there comes a point in time when we're also doing more damage to the, our economy, which is also very serious. Uh, you people who have life, work, and savings invested in their small business, they've got to open back up. We've got to, you know, and, and they're trying to do it safely with the distancing that comes out for the guidelines. So uh, there again, I'm always looking for, looking for solutions. I don't think it can be all on one side or the other. Uh, but I think I think working together and then listen to each other. Uh, as education person, I talk to a lot of superintendents. Their biggest challenge is not so much the virus right now. It's being able to, and that, that is an issue, of course, but it's being able to keep the schools open because of the different directives they hear from different bureaucracies, you know, whether that be CDC, health department, things like, you know, three to six foot rule one day, and then it's six foot rule. And they're trying to do everything to keep the keep the kids in the classroom, so we've got to have a, a healthy balance, and uh, that that's tough to get by right, get right now. All right, uh, kind of along the same lines, um, you know, the states uh, dealing with some revenue shortfalls. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of assumptions out there that inevitably we're going to have to deal with with budget cuts. Um, can you talk about how you prioritize budget cuts and would you cut healthcare spending? Yeah. You know, fortunately uh, right now, of course, we'll see what the, what, what the next year brings in 2021, you know, Tennessee revenues are not down. You probably know that you know, we're, we're, I was talking to our um, state F and a person the other day and our treasurer, and we're actually 4% ahead of this time last year. Now, once our F and a tax or uh, franchise and excise taxes come in or do, that, that may flip on us a little bit, but revenues are up, even though we've lost so much money in our hospitality, uh, restaurants, tourism, sales and RVs and boats and camping and lawn care have just gone out the roof. So they've balanced each other out like that. So hopefully that will hold where we won't have to make as hard a choice as we thought we would back in March. That's, that, that would be, a, that would be a good thing, but no, I, you know, and I will, would like to see us maintain health care. We do have the COVID money that eventually run out, but I would like to maintain our health care. And of course, our education is very important. Our teachers and, and children are challenged greatly right now in the education field. And I don't think it's time to pull money back out of our public schools or uh, teachers in, in, us, in our systems. But health care is critical. Actually, um, I haven't talked to you all about this. But one thing I'm working on right now is I would like to see us how to expand uh, the Medicaid uh, or to our working uninsured, draw down more federal dollars possibly for that. I think we can figure out a way to do that uh, and not make it political, which it has been in the past. I understand that we don't want to put the state of Tennessee in a position where we don't know what the federal government's going to do, and then we got to come up with hundreds of millions. I get that. But I think we're smart enough to uh, all sit down and figure that out and draw those dollars down into our state that we're, we're losing every day. 
All right. Um, Mark, that's uh, most of our questions. We wanted to leave some time here at the end and allow you to talk about any issues that are uh, important to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. appreciate the TMA. Uh, the course of things right now is making sure that things can get very political real quick, you know, on the spectrum between far right, far left, Republican, Democrat, what, whatnot. And I don't like to operate that way myself. I would like to see, you know, what is our challenge? And can we find a solution uh, to, to, to that challenge? Of course, a high priority of mine being in education is, is trying to figure out how to uh, address the tremendous disruption that our children, our experiences and our teacher and our school systems. You know, Shelby County schools are still virtual. Some schools are hybrid. Some schools, you've know, got rural versus urban. Um, you know, and how do we uh, make sure that we don't uh, continue? We, we got to be careful with our teachers right now. I was in a classroom yesterday morning, and they are working hard. They, they've had, they've not only had to teach the children and all the challenges around the virus, but they're doing virtual, they're doing hybrid, they're doing in class, and I want to be careful that we uh, we listen to them and address their issues. And I'd like to find more money for our teachers next year, as well as as I mentioned just now on the healthcare field. But uh, that's kind of what would like to be my focus. I got to get past November 3rd, like some other people. But having been there 11 years, uh, I now see, understand better how to collaborate and work with people to get things done and not get on a political position. All right. Uh, Mark, thanks for all your candor today. Thanks for spending so much time with us. And uh, good luck to you on the campaign trail. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. One. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back uh, to Meet the Candidates, our general election edition. I'm Clint Cummins, CEO of Memphis Medical Society. I'm joined today by Dr. George Woodbury, our legislative chairman and a dermatologist out of the uh, Cordova, Tennessee area. Hey, Dr. Woodbury. Hello. Um, our guest today is Ms. Patty Postle, um, Republican candidate uh, for District 96. Uh, Patty, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right, we're gonna get right to the questions and get you out of here as soon as we can, okay? okay. Um, over the summer, Governor Lee issued Executive Order 15. One of uh, the provisions in that order was uh, the allowance for uh, nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. Uh, what's your position on the ability of nurse practitioners and physician assistants to practice independently? So I, I did read all the literature I possibly could get my hands on on this subject. Plus, I've been listening to it for the past year, year and a half from the nurses, from the doctors. And, and as, as an educator, I understand that there's a hierarchy when, when you go for more education. Absolutely. You guys should be a part of this decision making. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But during a pandemic, when you're talking about shutting everybody down and limiting access everywhere, then you go off into those rural places that there are very few physicians to begin with. Then you throw in the fact that there's just not enough medical resources in those areas. So I understand why the governor made this decision during this point in time that we just needed every available medical personnel to be able to reach as many people as possible. So even though ideally, I think it would be awesome to have a team with 
every person that walks in the office where the physician is the lead. I also have to support the decision of the government in partnership with the physicians that, hey, we're more in an emergency crisis. We may, you know, it, it's great to have that supervision, but sometimes we got to roll with what we have and giving them the autonomy to make those decisions during this time, I think is what we, we needed to do in order to serve the people most effectively. And I'm sorry, my phone is ringing, but it's going to go to the answering machine. That's so, all right. It's campaign season, right? That's, that's right. That's right. And I'm sure they're calling about, you know, something I don't need or want, but, <laughs> but, um, so that's, that's where I stand. I, I understand it. And in these kind of situation, we have to give the nurses that autonomy in order to serve the people in the best way that we can. Okay. Uh, we're going to keep rolling with the questions. Thank you um, for that answer. Um, so uh, a lot of difficult decisions have been made throughout the pandemic um, that really forced business owners, parents, policymakers, really everybody to balance personal physical health and economic, or excuse me, and community health with um, what I would call economic health and that just desire to get back to business you know, that's uh, all of our legislators have been faced with those kinds of decisions. Can you talk about how you prioritize or would prioritize um, those uh, uh, dynamics in a situation? So in this situation, again, I think we need to lean heavily on our medical community to give us the guidelines for what we need to do. But then there also needs to be that balance between uh, sh you know, you can't shut down the economy completely because that messes with people's psyches, that messes with their ability to have the resources needed for a good balanced diet. You know, so, so there has to be a balance between those two things. I don't think we should shut down the economy and, and, and force people to stay at home. But at the same time, we have to take those precautions and make sure that we're opening up in, a, in the most safe and effective way possible. But we definitely need the input from the medical society in order to know what we need to do to make sure those, those businesses and those schools can open in the most you know, ideal and safe environments too. Sure. Um, kind of along the same lines, um, you know, a lot of people assume that as we come through this pandemic, we're going to be faced with some revenue decreases at the state level and probably be in that situation where we have to do some cuts. Can you talk about how, when faced with situations to cut, how you prioritize that and would you, would you cut healthcare spending? I absolutely will not cut healthcare spending, nor will I cut safety issues, nor will I cut education because those are the most important things safety and health go hand in hand, right? So, so we need good policing and support of, of the policing and law enforcement, but at the same time, we need good support for good medical, uh, for medical safety too, right? And then of course, we always need good education. Those are our top priorities and we should not make any cuts in any one of those three categories. Where we could make those cuts are in uh, government positions that uh, are already open or somebody's retiring. We don't, we don't need to fill those things. And yeah, that might be somewhat of a burden for some of those people, but if they, they have to work more than an eight hour day, 
that's an okay thing versus cutting police officers that work more than eight hours. Doctors certainly work more than eight hours routinely. And of course, educators, even though people think, oh, they've got a lot of time off and they only teach X number of hours a day, they're always going home and preparing. So they're all working more than eight hours. In times like this, this is when everybody needs to step up and do the best they can. And that means putting a little more time in and burning the midnight oil. All right, thanks, uh, Patty. So those are our questions. We wanted to leave a few minutes here at the end for uh, you to talk about um, anything you want to, some of the priorities that we didn't mention or just uh, any stumping you want to do today. Okay, so, so for me, um, for those that don't know where 96 is, it's the vast majority of Cordova and a little bit of Germantown. So for me, a big priority and what I've been advocating for over the course of this last eight years is because of my study on property rights. So when I woke up to that newspaper article in 2012 that said my home was annexed, I pulled out my constitution, I pulled out the law, and I figured out that the law was in balance and it was unconstitutional. We all had the right to confirm our governance. So I then went back and 4,600 files later, I can give you a history all the way back to 1960 in the city of Memphis and what their aggressive annexation policies have actually done, which has been a lose-lose situation for the residents of Raleigh, Fraser, Hickory Hill, and Whitehaven. Well, when they came out and started annexing Cordova, that same policy is in play here. And you're starting to see Cordova being uh, going downhill or deteriorating the same way Raleigh, Fraser, Hickory Hill, and Whitehaven have deteriorated. So we're down 800 police officers in the city of Memphis, which the vast majority of Cordova is within the boundaries of the city of Memphis. And we also cannot get our garbage picked up. And I believe Dr. Woodburn knows that because in order to get to his office, he's riding through those residential areas and he's seeing that trash on the street week after week after week. The people who live in Cordova deserve to have good services. And if the city of Memphis needs the resources um, because they don't have enough in their budget to come out and actually service Cordova, then you need somebody in Nashville that is going to bring those resources back so we can partner and actually start maintaining Cordova in these very important safety issues. Because trash laying on the street is not rocket science to pick it up, but yet it is a big safety issue because it brings in rodents and pestilence and then, then we get into the healthcare and everything else too. So Cordova needs to be maintained and we have to have somebody there in Nashville with a little chutzpah to really advocate for the residents of Cordova because Cordova is the center of Shelby County. And so we touch six of the seven cities of Shelby County. And so to think that Cordova fails the way those other four areas fail you're gonna end up having more issues in all the outlying areas. So my platform's really about advocating for the people and safety issues and bringing good jobs back here, making sure we're supporting law enforcement and picking up the garbage. I'm Patty right. Popple, please, please vote for me. <laughs> all right, Patty, that all sounds good. Thanks for your candor, uh, thanks for your time today and uh, Good luck to you on the campaign trail.
Well, thank you so much um, for including me and I hope to see you all in person real soon. All right, Patty, take care. You too. All Bye -bye. right. Bye. Everybody, we're back uh, with another round of Meet the Candidates interviews for our members at Memphis Medical Society. I'm Clint Cummins, CEO of Memphis Medical Society. I'm joined today by our legislative chairman, Dr. George Woodbury, dermatologist here in town. And joining us, we have a current incumbent Democrat from District 96, Mr. Dwayne Thompson. Dwayne, thanks for Thank joining you. us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, Dwayne, we're going to cut straight to the chase and get to our questions and, sure. uh, and uh, get this done in an expedient fashion. Okay. Um, so uh, back during the summer, Dwayne, Governor Lee issued executive order number 15. Among the provisions right. in that order uh, include the ability for nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. What's your position on the expansion of scope of practice for non-physician providers like uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants? Okay, and, and uh, I wrote this down just to make sure my thoughts would be straight, so if that's okay. If I, yeah, no problem. So if I sound canned, it's actually my writing and everything, too. <laughs> we understand. Um, okay, well, first of all, you know, as a state legislator, my duty is to find the best health care solutions for the, for the public at large. Um, our duty is not to... Uh, to quote, help the physicians or help the nurse practitioners or help the physician's assistants. Um, but with that said, well, I want to, we want to be friends with all everyone, but um, your know, main duty is, is, is protect the public. And that's, that's my thought process entirely. Uh, but with that said, I, I also think that we should give um, medical professionals, all of them, the, um, allow them to have the ability to, um, to, to do their training, to perform the duties that they're trained for and, and that um, and the, are helpful to, to patients. And that's the main thing. Now, like all other legislators, I've been bombarded with information from all sides on this issue. And although I uh, will continue to listen and to seriously consider all sides at every point, I, uh, I tend to favor the current system where well-trained physicians will guide the outcome of patient care. And with the understanding that nurse practitioners and physician's assistants do have a great deal of leeway, it, at least from my standpoint, from what I've observed, for individual patient care, but they are ultimately under the guidance of a physician. And for, for uh, especially as, as you mentioned in, um, in one of your, um, in, in uh, another statement from the, uh, for, from the TMA that, uh, you know, complex um, uh, medical uh, problems should be uh, really reviewed and and determined um, by a uh, well-trained and qualified physician. All right, uh, thanks, Dwayne. We're, we're gonna move into the next question. Um, you know, throughout COVID and, and even today, there's a lot of difficult decisions being made uh, that force business owners, parents, policymakers, everybody in between to have to balance their personal physical health uh, and the health of the community with economic health. 
uh, and that desire to get back to business, get back to work, whatever the phrase du jour. Um, yeah. <laughs> can you talk about your thought process when you're faced with those challenges? Okay. Now, as I understand this question, you're saying that companies are having pressure to reduce the investment time in ensuring employee health and and um, in investment in, in, in the investment the pressure is to invest more time in short-term profits to help secure the overall health of the economy of the company. Is that sort of where you're getting at? Company or economy? I mean, yeah. I think you have some some personal dynamics there with businesses, and then you have a, a much greater dynamic with you know our state's economy, our nation's economy, and our city's economy. Right, right. Well, I, know, I understand a company's pressure. They, they. Um, you know, a lot of them are are, are having threats of, uh, of serious problems or in, even in many cases of, of going out of business altogether. So I, I do understand that. And that's understandable in, a, in any economic recession. And, and, it, and I've seen it in the past and it's occurring now. But as a state uh, policymaker, it's my job to look at both the short-term needs and the long-term vision to secure the overall population health of the state that we um, you know, want to use any available tools that are, that are feasible and that offer the least resistance from all the various entities. So in other words, the temptation, um, especially on my side, you know, as a Democrat, is to use mandates to say that businesses have to do this or have to do that. Um, I prefer to use incentives um, for um, for private sector organizations uh, to you know one to one is to offer group health care. That's uh, the, the the more uh, that's offered, the better as far as I'm concerned. You know, the more people that are covered under some plan, uh, the better the state is going to be off overall. And, and two, to give incentives to employees to, um, um, for healthy lifestyles that, um, you know, we, I know we've done that. Uh, I'm part of a, a caucus for wellness and uh, uh, hasn't done as much as adults do, but I'd like to see it done more. And, and, um, and, and I think that's probably where the direction I want to go. I don't have any specific things in mind at this point, but that's generally what my uh, emphasis would be. Okay. Um, so inevitably, um, as we get through another fiscal year on the state level, we're going to be faced with some economic challenges that are going to uh, force revenue dis uh, decreases um, how do you prioritize those inevitable cuts when if the if the state and its lawmakers get in that position where they have to make cuts? How do you prioritize what gets cut and would you cut health care spending? Uh, prioritize the most important things for uh, for people. Um, and I look at education and health care as um, the two primary investments that state government should make uh, for the people of Tennessee. Uh, and as a result, we should seek to retain health care spending at the current level um, and even look for ways to increase that spending if at all possible and all feasible. Um, I was on the 10 care subcommittee for a while, 
and uh, was shocked at the way that the leadership tries to keep costs down as much as possible and often to the detriment of the most needy people out there. Um, there were what I've referred to as tricks to uh, keep people off the rolls and to uh, make it more difficult to join Tim Care or to get people off the rolls. Um, our Medicaid system is, uh, is, is I, I think it's just about the most bare bones system in the nation. Uh, we were the last one to adopt the Katie Beckett rule. Um, we're one of two states not covering dental care um, at, uh, it, it, except for just emergency situations. And I want the most efficient government possible. And I think we need to always look at efficiencies but uh, the investment that we put into healthcare is an essential element in keeping Tennessee prosperous. All right, uh, sounds good. So, um, Dwayne, uh, th those are our questions. We want to give you a couple minutes here at the end. Uh, appreciate you being candid so far. Uh, feel free to uh, kind of free will a little bit and talk about any other issues you want to talk about today. Uh, well, you know, we, we, uh, we sound like a broken record over and over about Medicaid expansion, but I'm still for it, and I still think that the Tennessee would be better off if we uh, adopted it. It's, um, it's uh, 38 states have it now. Uh, we're, uh, uh, there's not been, uh, you know, there have been problems here and there, but overall it's been very successful for those states. Um, uh, here we are, you know, we have the, the largest uh, uh, percentage of um, rural hospital closings of any state in the, na in the nation. Um, we have, um, uh, it's, it's caused a lot, and especially during this economic downturn, we have people that are out there suffering without, uh, they've lost their, their, their coverage, medical coverage, and um, and this would uh, not totally cure the situation, but it would um, it would uh, certainly be a, a, the right step in that direction. Uh, the um, I think we should have more use of medically related compacts uh, with other states. Uh, I sponsored a bill that it's not necessarily in you know, dealing with physicians, but it might be. Uh, I know that we've already adopted some compacts for, uh, for nurses, uh, for, um, for um, uh, emergency uh, 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 EMTs and so forth. Uh, I sponsored a bill to, uh, to enter us in the SIPAC or the psychology compact. And I think, um, Right now, that would, um, if, if it passed, that would have been a, um, a definite plus, especially, again, with our economic downturn and the need for more psychological services. And I uh, think that more, if, if, we, um, if we look at other opportunities to do that, I think it will, um, it will definitely help us, especially in Tennessee, where we're, we have so many states around us in, in especially in, in Shelby County when we're where we're a tri-state area um, 
Also, and, and y'all can probably tell me more of what's been done in this, but I know we always need an increasing number of residencies in Tennessee to keep our medical students um, here versus uh, after, after UT gives them a great education moving somewhere else. And um, I'm always interested in hearing from, um, from Dr. Woodbury and others about that. I have a feeling you might be hearing from Dr. Woodbury again real soon on that topic. I don't, I don't uh, believe that, but uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. Uh, Dwayne, anything else you want to share? Uh, I can't think of anything else right now, but I, I appreciate your, your time. We thank you for the time today and uh, good luck to you out on the campaign trail, Dwayne. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our next edition of Meet the Candidates. Uh, this one's going to be focused on the general election. Uh, we'll be going through a series of different interviews that you can be able to see on our YouTube channel, as well as um, through a link on mdmemphis.org. Uh, we're joined today by uh, John Gillespie, a Republican candidate from uh, District 97. And uh, uh, John, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're, we're also joined by Dr. George Woodbury, the Memphis Medical Society Legislative Chairman. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Woodbury. Um, John, we're, we're going to get right into the questions. Um, as uh, most of our members know, we ask every um, candidate the same questions, and uh, that allows us to um, display some consistency for our members. So um, we're going to get right to it. Um, so John, uh, back uh, during the summer, Governor Lee issued uh, Executive Order Number 15. Among the provisions in that order, uh, was the ability for nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. What's your position on the expansion of scope of practice for non-physician uh, providers, such as nurse practitioners and physician assistants? All right, uh, first of all, thank you all so much for organizing this and uh, for including me in it. I'm excited to be here. Uh, let me first start with, I work at a skilled nursing facility as a grant writer. I'm not a medical professional by any means. Um, I work with a lot of doctors and a lot of nurses and nurse practitioners and CNAs and you name it. Um, I'm kind of there with them uh, every day or five days a week. So I have all the respect in the world for all the professions out there that are providing care for us, especially right now during COVID and this crisis. I do think that there are certain places where it could be appropriate to where a nurse practitioner should have expanded authority in crises, like we're seeing right now, but it should be limited in nature right now under the current laws that we have. Now, speaking of which the current laws that we have, I've had this discussion with multiple members and multiple candidates that are running for state office, and I believe there is compromise out there. I think that there is the ability to listen to both sides and see what works and what doesn't work. And just to give a very specific example, um, I'm not saying that this is something I agree with or disagree with, but take a diabetes shoe for an example that that's prescribed. Um, I think maybe in that very, very, very specific case, some flexibility should be shared uh, a little bit more with the nurse practitioners to give them a little bit more autonomy. But with other issues, especially with opioids or with um, the diagnosis of certain diseases uh, and ailments, I think that the, 
the MD definitely should be involved. Um, and I think people would be more comfortable with that as well. But again, when I get up there in Nashville and you present your bill and they present their bill, I'm going to look at both of them and I'm going to see what we have in common, what you all have in common with between the nurses, the MPs and the MDs. I want to make sure that at the end of the day, I'm a grant writer. I'm not a medical professional. I don't know what's best for you. I don't know what's best for a patient. Um, so I want to work with both sides of, or all sides of the issues of uh, autonomy there and make sure that everyone has their input and their say. And at the end of the day, we can come together in Nashville and vote on what's appropriate for Tennessee. Middle ground and compromise is the name of the game sometimes. We, we understand that. Uh, we're going to move on to the next question. Um, so a lot of difficult decisions made throughout the pandemic and, and still today um, that forced business owners, parents, policymakers, all sorts of people to balance personal physical health with the economic health and that desire to, you know, get back to business, get back to normal, whatever phrase uh, of the day you want to use. Can you just talk about your thought process when you're faced with those types of challenges if you're elected? Sure. So first of all, as with any business, state government is not very different. The majority of the cost that it bears is on employees. So if we would have to lay off or make those decisions um, to kind of trim the budget, I would leave vacant positions open for one calendar year and see what happens between now and then. But I will also say that there are certain parts of state government, and I believe this to my core, that we are responsible for. Um, that's public safety, that is uh, education, and to a bit, healthcare. And I would wanna see that those people that work in those professions for the state are not let go. Sounds good. Um, all right, on to the next question. So, um, Inevitably, um, and you alluded to some of this in your last answer, so feel free to expand on that if you need mm -hmm. to. Um, there's gonna be some economic challenges in our state due to revenue decreases um, associated with COVID. How are you gonna prioritize those cuts and would you cut healthcare spending? Can you talk us through that a little bit? Uh, first of all, I would not cut healthcare spending as it is right now. Uh, the, again, I go back to public safety, education, and healthcare, and healthcare being the licensing of physicians and people that work in the healthcare field and providing guidance of a, from a public health standpoint is what I'm referring to when I say healthcare. So I think there's certain things that we've already done. The state did a really good job of the last couple of years of getting rid of some of these professional licensing fees. I think there are only three or four left that were going to be cut in 2021. And that's no longer the case for now because we do need that extra revenue. Unfortunately, we had over a billion dollar shortfall. Um, thankfully, we have a large rainy day fund and a large surplus. And we have almost zero debt. Um, in the state compared to other states, including just north of us, Kentucky. So I think it's important to continue those conservative principles that previous legislatures, uh, Bill ha Governor Haslam and Governor Lee have done. And uh, we need to use that and utilize those. And that way we can continue, 
continue to be fiscally conservative in a sense that we don't have to lay off people. We don't have to make those harsh decisions. We don't need to be adding more stuff to the budget. We don't need to be adding more people to our payrolls to prevent a crisis from happening. We have a lot of the tools in place and a lot of the people in place. So I don't believe that we're going to see a whole lot more cuts than what we've already seen projected into next year. All right. Uh, John, you've done a great job answering the questions uh, and thanks for all your candor. I, I want to give you some time here at the end to just um, oh, yeah. do a little stumping if you want, talk about any issues that you want to and, and give a message to our membership. So really the main reason I'm running, I'm filling a great man's seat, uh, Jim Coley. He's been in office 14 years. He's stepping down due to some health problems, which is very admirable for him to accept that and uh, make it public. Uh, Cause that takes a big commitment to run for office, but even a bigger commitment to voluntarily step down. So I wanna first start with that, that I have very big shoes to fill. Really what brought me into this was my attitude and several friends of mine attitude, people were moving away from Memphis, not coming back after college, uh, not coming back to Shelby County. They were moving to Nashville or Atlanta or other places outside the state. And it always kind of made me a little envious of other places, but it also made me curious as to what some of the causes were for that. And it really got down to economic development in West Tennessee our education system here in Shelby County, and crime. And those are the three things that I think are drivers of whether or not a company will come invest its resources to relocate in Shelby County. I think it also goes with the people that work for those companies to bring their families here and to put their kids in schools. So the three things that I really wanna focus on when I'm in the legislature is education, and that is adding pre-K education throughout the state. And again, like I said, we have a large rainy day fund and a large surplus, and we have very good funding for the Tennessee Promise. I wanna expand on that with pre-K education and our high schools need both tech skills called again. We have a shortage across the country of plumbers, carpenters, HVAC technicians. In the Bartlett area, we have a very big emerging uh, medical device industry. I'd love to add some of those skills to our high schoolers so they graduate with an associate degree and they're often ready and they're earning five fig or six figures right off or right off the bat. So that's first thing. Secondly is criminal justice reform. Our sentencing guidelines are could be a lot better here. We have people that are committing armed robbery and even shooting people, in some cases killing people, that are not serving their full time. It can be as low as 20% uh, time served after parole. So I don't think that the system we have in place now is helping that cycle of violence. And I think that if we start putting the people that are committing these heinous crimes away a little bit longer, other people will take notice and they'll realize they're not just going to jail for a couple of years for shooting someone. They're gonna to go to jail for a very long time. Now, the second part of that is, I think while we have them in our prison system, and keep in mind, 97% of people in our state prison system will eventually be released. 
we need to give them some skills. If they don't have an associate degree, let's give them one. If they don't have a driver's license, let's give them one. Let's help the people out that we are incarcerating as much as we can to prevent them from coming back. And lastly, economic development. We have been treated for quite some time now in Shelby County um, differently than other parts of the states. And there's a lot of reasons for that, mainly the two that I just touched on. But I really want to go up to Nashville and use our supermajority that the Republicans have and bring attention back here to Shelby County. I plan on shouting at the top of my lungs to say, hey, we have companies that want to move to Tennessee. Memphis already and Shelby County always provides a great logistical opportunity. We have a great airport, five class five rail systems here in Shelby County, two major interstate systems. Let's put them here and let's provide the opportunities that they can use to be lured here. So that's why I'm running and I appreciate your vote. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, you've done a great job answering the questions. It was uh, nice to get to know you today. Thanks for sharing um, so much time with us and good luck to you on the campaign trail. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all for having me. And all right, John, take care. I can do for you. Thank you, John. Take care. Uh, we're joined now by uh, Gabby Salinas. Uh, Gabby, good evening and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, just a couple of quick uh, housekeeping notes from me, and then we will jump into your questions. Uh, those of you just joining us, you can type your questions into the Q&A uh, feature of Zoom, and we will try to um, ask those if there's time at the end. Uh, otherwise, we've got uh, three questions to ask Gabby, and then uh, Gabby, if there's time, we'll allow you some time at the end to talk about any other uh, topics you want to um, touch on before we um, end the interview. So uh, with that, we're gonna go ahead and get started, okay? Uh, so Gabby, uh, first question, uh, Governor Lee recently issued executive order number 15. Among its provisions includes the ability for nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. What's your position on the expansion of scope of practice from non-physician providers, such as nurse practitioners and physician assistants? Yeah, um, I don't support uh that portion of the executive order um and i've been reading and I've, you know last time i ran i talked to tna and um, tma as well and um i know that there was a compromise of adding more training to uh nurse practitioners and they if you hold on i don't know what happened to my screen. I, I stopped sharing the screen that was my fault i'm sorry okay um so um i remember that compromise and from what i have been reading um that compromise is no longer there. Um, so therefore I do not support uh, the executive order. Okay, thank you. Or that portion of the executive order at least. Right. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, we'll keep going, jumping into the second question. Uh, so there's a lot of difficult decisions being made nowadays that force uh, business owners, parents, policymakers, everybody really uh, to balance their personal physical health and even the health of a community with economic health and that, you know, kind of overarching desire to get back to business. We hear that phrase quite often. Uh, can you describe your thought process when you're faced with these challenges, assuming um, you're elected? How are you going to balance uh, those uh, health versus economy decisions? Yeah, um, 
I think, you know, as a candidate myself, it, having campaigned in a time before COVID and a time after COVID, um, I've had to make those adjustments, right? Um, in, the, in the way of fundraising, what we're doing, you know, we're no longer canvassing, everything has been moved virtually where we have been able to, um, because for me, the priority is the health and well-being of people in my district. However, I also understand that, you know, we, this is not gonna go away anytime soon. So we have to have the ability to um, regulate depending on how our cases are going, making sure that people are wearing masks, making sure that masks are available. And if we can do contact tracing uh, and keep our numbers low, our options for opening restaurants, for opening uh, things, obviously it's gonna look a little different, but we're gonna have more options if we um, have our mitigation strategy really strong. And I think that's where Tennessee's failing is not having a strong mitigation um, strategy and wanting and feeling the pressure of wanting to open without that strategy in place is why we're seeing the results that we're seeing. Um, I come from science, I work in infectious diseases, I work in malaria, it's a little bit different, um, but I think I'm uniquely qualified and I'm more qualified than a lot of the people that are in government right now um, because I look at the evidence. I know that safety, um, that safety matters and that um, protection equipment works, right? I work in a BSL-2 level lab and I have been in BSL-3 levels and I know that, that PPE, the importance of PPE. So it was so hard to witness um, and see the lack of PPE with our medical professionals, especially um, because they're our frontline workers when it comes to treating people um, with COVID. So um, it's a complicated thing. We need to have room for adjusting and going back and forth, right? Right, right? Um, um, right now, our cases are high and you know, there's no, we don't have the infrastructure to do contact tracing right now at the, at the rate that we're at right now, right? So we need to kind of dial back, wait, and then make sure that we can still move, move forward um, that gets under control um, because it's realistically, it's going to be uh, a year or more before we can get a vaccine available. And even then, you know, there's a lot of limitations on um, what we're learning from immunity to COVID right now. Um, so, and then there's the production side of it, right? I work in drug discovery and we produce drugs, which are much more simpler to produce than a vaccine. Um, so we need to have that flexibility there that I think is lacking. Okay. Um, so kind of uh, staying on the economic front a little bit, um, our state is going to have a lot of economic challenges due to revenue shortfalls, mostly associated with the pandemic. Um, can you talk about your thought process on how you would prioritize those inevitable cuts? And, um, and if so, would you cut healthcare spending? So I wouldn't cut healthcare spending. I would expand Medicaid. Um, that would bring $1.4 billion to our Tennessee economy. And we are the biggest in all of this here in Shelby. We are the largest county and the most medical county in our entire state, right? Uh, healthcare is such a big part of our budget. So I would expand Medicaid expansion, um, sorry, expand Medicaid so that uh, we can bring those federal dollars and the majority of that money is going to come to Shelby County, right? Uh, and right now with everything that's happening in our hospital closures that are happening in counties that are surrounding Shelby County, put pressure on Shelby County because people are coming to our hospitals. Um, 
to take, and we're going to have to take care of those people, right? Um, and that puts a stress in our medical system, right? Um, so, but going along those lines, the governor just put a little over $300 million into our rainy day fund. We're literally drowning. Um, so um, we shouldn't be putting those funds into the rainy day fund. Um, so there isn't a lack of money because we put that money there. So I would use that money for unemployment. Um, right now, people's, um, they're losing their health care coverage right now, right? And we're going to have to absorb that cost if they don't have access to health insurance, right? Today was, uh, I saw a new figure that it released was 5.4 million people have lost their health care. Um, so I would shift those funds so that people um, have the money to be able to purchase insurance either through the marketplace or through getting covered through Medicaid um, dollars. Um, that's very important right now, especially when we talk about medical uh, coverage and medical expenses in the time of, in the middle of a pandemic in a city that is such a medical city, right? You know, Methodist, St. Jude, Le Bonheur, those are here, right? Um, and when we look at our state, this disproportionately affects Shelby County. All right, thank you. So um, we wanted to leave some time here um, at the end. If you have, you know, healthcare issues you want to expand upon, or if you want to talk about some other issues, we've got a little bit of time here. So feel feel free to take it. Yeah. So I think I feel a very unique role uh, in all of this. I have not only dealt in healthcare as a as a patient, but as a scientist, there's very little people that have that experience. I've been in healthcare since I was seven. <laughs> That's when my experience started. Um, and I understand both sides of it. And there's very few people that have that experience. Um, I understand the scientific side of it and um, what we need to provide for patients and what the limitations are within uh, the healthcare system we have. But I also understand the side of being a patient and not being able to access health insurance and having to pick between, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? I can't pay for that medicine. I'm a graduate student, you know? Graduate student coverage is very minimal um, because we're not really considered employees and we're not really considered students. We kind of fall in this in-between phase of um, making too little to qualify for, a, for benefits through the state, but making too much to, um, to get healthcare through our employers. So um, I have a unique perspective when it comes to understanding this issue. And I think I could be a great advocate for people in healthcare uh, because I have worked in healthcare. Um, I've, I've been in, at, this is the issue that got me interested in politics. I've never thought that I would be a, uh, running for office, but I was, just got so frustrated being a cancer survivor in a time before the Affordable Care Act passed, having a, a pre-existing conditions, you know, um, childhood cancer survivors grow up to be adults with pre-existing conditions um, and being frustrated on that side of, you know, meeting with my doctors and then saying, this is what we recommend, but your insurance doesn't cover it. Um, or, I mean, when I got started, we had lifetime caps. I, I did not know what I was going to do um, because we, I had over, over gone way over that cap when I was a teenager, before I was a teenager. Um, so we're getting better. I would love to be the person that drives a lot of these changes forwards 
And um, I think I can be an advocate unlike any other that we've had at the state level. All right, great. Um, Gabby, thanks for the time tonight. Good luck to you on the campaign trail. Um, I know it's challenging out there with uh, the uh, roadblocks that the pandemic may put in front of you, but uh, good luck to you either way. And, yeah, uh, well, I mean, with each challenge, there's there's opportunity for creativity. And um, so I'm, I'm open to the challenge. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a good evening. Thank you. Take care. All right, uh, up next, uh, in about four minutes, we're going to be joined by uh, Alan Creasy. I see Alan's already set up and ready to go. Uh, thanks for joining us, Alan. We're going to start your interview promptly at 7 p.m., um, so we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll be back in about four minutes. Tom, thank you for joining us this evening. Good to be here with you this evening. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Um, if you don't mind, we're going to go ahead and jump into the questions this evening. We are rolling right along here. All right. Sounds so um, you may have heard uh, some of the questions we asked Lee earlier. We're going to ask the same ones to you. Um, so the first one, uh, Tom, is Governor Lee recently issued Executive Order Number 15. Among the provisions in that order include the ability for nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. What's your position on the expansion of the scope of practice for non-physician providers like nurse practitioners and physician assistants? I have opposed that and um, have, of course, spoken to the nurses about it. They visited me uh, several times during the session, as you might imagine, and uh, have let them know my position. And what I've told them is that I believe the additional schooling, training, residency that the doctors have to go through must mean something. And so I tell them I'm not putting them down, but that must be worth something. And therefore, I don't believe they should have that same scope of practice unsupervised without the training. Again, they'll say, we are trained. We are trained to do all of this. Well, then why are we requiring the doctors to do so much more if it doesn't mean anything, if it has no value? And they really don't have an answer to that. And again, I'm not against the nurses. You know, they're good people, do good jobs. I wish I could be with them on this. But again, for the reasons I just said, uh, I do oppose that and I've let them know that. Okay. Um, thank you, Tom. Uh, we'll move right on into the second question. Um, you know, this pandemic has forced a lot of us to make some difficult decisions. Uh, it forces uh, business owners, parents, policymakers like yourself, and pretty much all of us to balance things like our personal physical health and the health of our community with economic and financial health and that desire to get us back to business. We hear that phrase a lot. Can you talk about your thought process when you're faced with these types of challenges? Yes, and like with many people, it's been evolving based on information we were given eventually at the beginning, as well as the facts that have come to light over time. You know, I understand Governor Lee's um, executive orders and positions early on, we were told that the hospitals were going to be overrun. Doctors were going to have to choose, does Clint get the respirator or does George get the respirator? One of you's going to die. <laughs> and of course, that never happened. Um, so I understand those decisions early on, but we have more data now. 
and we see who the more vulnerable populations are and who they aren't. I agree with what the governor has been saying now, one no state mandate on the um, masks, leaving that up more to the locals, and that he is not looking to shut the economy down again like we did, and I agree with that. I believe unless things get a whole lot worse than they are, we cannot go back to where we were. Uh, there are health problems with that. We saw it with uh, increased suicides, people dying from other conditions, heart attacks and so forth, because they weren't getting the medical treatment that they normally would have. So there are health risks to totally shutting down like we did as well. Plus the financial aspect that doesn't just hit locally owned restaurant, but the hospitals and healthcare facilities, outpatient surgical centers, the health industry took a big economic hit as well. So again, to reiterate, I think it's gonna have to get, in my view, would need to get a whole lot worse than it is now before we go back to shutting down the economy and not just for economic reasons, but for the health reasons I alluded to as well. All right, thank you. Um, so we're going to kind of stay on the economic front just a little bit. You know, in, inevitably, um, our state's going to continue to face economic challenges um, due to some revenue decreases associated with the pandemic. Um, how do you prioritize these inevitable cuts and would you cut health care during that process? Um, bottom line, yeah, I would not cut health care. And I don't think we will have to. Thankfully, Tennessee has been very conservatively run for a long time. You know, we've got the great bond ratings from all the different agencies. We've got over a billion dollars in the rainy day fund. And even though some, mainly Democrats, wanted us to go in and uh, start drawing from the rainy day fund, we actually added to it in the budget, which I think is good. Um, in last year's budget that just ended the end of June, I think we had like a $500 million uh, gap. We took care of that. And we've also passed a budget going forward that um, has been adjusted for decreased revenue projections. All that to say, uh, we took care of the budget year that just ended. We believe we've taken care of the current budget year we're in. I don't think it's inevitable that we're gonna have more budget cuts. I know talking to leadership and the governor, what we are hoping is that we can continue opening up and get back, get closer at least to where we were. We were running such strong surpluses that we really don't have to get back to where we were because those were huge surpluses. If we just get part of the way back to where we were, especially since we've reduced the budget, then we should be okay with the budget we've established through this year. So I think if things stay on the course they're on now, even though we've got an increase in cases, um, we're gonna be fine for the budget year we are in. And then hopefully we pull out of this, uh, even if we don't pull out of it till the spring. Again, if we just get close to where we were before and 
I'm not making a prediction here because it's it would sound crazy, but who knows? We might even end up with a dollar or two to spare next spring. But again, that's assuming things don't get worse and we don't have to totally shut down again. If we totally shut down again, it's just going to be a difficult situation. And I'm thankful the governor has said it's going to have to get real, real bad before we go back to that. So hopefully we don't have to make any more cuts. Uh, if we do, um, healthcare has to be at the bottom. If people don't have their health, what do you got, you know? Okay. Um, well, that's all of our questions, Tom. We, we have some time left. Are there other issues you want to bring up or any general comments you want to make? Well, of course, this isn't my first rodeo. Um, I'm sure y'all know I was in state Senate 92 to 2000. And I'm not completely shooting from the hip on budget talk. I was on finance committee 92 to, well, not the full 92 to 2000, but part of my tenure there, I was on finance committee. And we uh, had to go through budget cuts then. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, you know, my first session, beginning of this session, I was telling the younger members, you guys are just real good spending the money now, but sooner or later, we need to be careful of the obligations we make because sooner or later, there's going to be a downturn. And I've gone through a downturn in state government before. And uh, they're like, oh, you know, surpluses, everything's great. Little did I know how deep it would be and how quick it would come. But all that to say, not my first radio, I've got that experience. But mainly, I've got a long-term proven record of working with y'all. So I'm not an unknown. You know, we've been friends and um, it's just worked well. And I know my opponent would like to make that kind of nefarious, but what it really comes down to, I think we're very like-minded. And um, that translates into the actions I take uh, in the legislature. So at any rate, I've got a proven record and a long-term relationship uh, with y'all and hope to continue it. All right. Well, Tom, thanks for the time tonight. Uh, glad you were able to join us and uh, good luck to you on the campaign trail. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you all very much. Yep. Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing? We're good. How are you this evening? Hey, I'm, I'm well. I'm well. It's hot outside. I tell you that. Yeah. Uh, maybe we got a temporary cooling with the storm, but uh, uh, I'm sure it'll be right back uh, up there tomorrow. Um, want to remind everybody since we have people coming on and off that uh, we are uh, recording tonight's session and we'll um, uh, share all the individual candidate recordings on our YouTube channel uh, as well as through email. Uh, we're joined tonight by Dr. George Woodbury, our legislative chairman, and uh, Allison Cook is uh, producing things for us uh, behind the scenes. So um, Jesse, if you're ready, we're going to go ahead and get started. All right, let's do it. All right, sounds good. Um, so the first question tonight is, uh, Governor Lee recently issued executive order number 15. Among the provisions in that order include the ability for nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. What's your position on the expansion of scope of practice for non-physician providers, such as nurse practitioners and physician assistants? You know, that's, that's one of the conversations that's been had. That's the question of the year, actually. It's been, we've been having the conversation for most of the year, or well, most of the session. And uh, 
for a long time I've been on the fence about it. But uh during the and and during the pandemic, of course, uh uh all of us are having to stretch a little bit. So um as far as nurses getting a complete autonomy, um it could be helpful for a short period of time, but I don't think that's something we need to do uh going forward for as a permanent as a permanent fix. Because there's a reason that physicians went to get all this extra education, all those extra student loans, uh, all the all of the extra training that that's, that's required. So, uh, as far as just dealing with the pandemic, I think it's an okay thing. But going forward, outside of the pandemic, I believe that nurse practitioners still need some uh, oversight from physicians. Okay. Um... We're going to move right on into the next question. Um, so uh, everybody in our society is having to make a lot of difficult decisions right now, whether you're a business owner, a parent, a policymaker, everybody uh, that are, is forcing them to balance physical health and even the health of their entire community or their district in your case with economic health and that whole, you know, we hear the phrase get back to business uh, quite often. What can you talk about your thought process when you're faced with those types of challenges about in those two things? Well, uh, as far as you're trying, it, give me the question one more time. So, I can. so when when you have those decisions, like you've probably already been faced with of uh, health versus economy, uh, you know we've seen it a lot with um, closing down the state, opening up the state versus. Uh, uh, keeping it shut down to keep everybody um, distant and in their home. Um, you know, what, what's your thought process when you're trying to decide uh, what to do and when to do it? Well, without health, there is no economy. So, uh, as so, we, we we need to follow the follow the advice of our professionals in the, in the medical field in order to get where we need to go uh, as a society through this pandemic. Uh, there, there has been a lot of balancing that has been done, that, ha that has have to be done. Uh, there is uh, so many changes, there's so many families and so many, so many different peoples in our society have had to deal with. Um, but I do believe that um, if, we, if we all work together to reach that balance, I believe it's something we can get done. Um, but definitely, we, we definitely need to listen to our experts to find, to find out what the, what's the best measure. Because there, right now, there are so many unknowns that uh, we, we can't get, just tread the way we, we normally do. Because if, if, if we do that, we could, call, we could cause the situation that we're in right now to get worse. And we don't want it to get any worse. All right, so um, kind of staying on that economic front, you know, the, the state's going to have to, you know, face its own economic challenges uh, due to some revenue decreases associated with COVID. Um, how do you prioritize those inevitable cuts that are going to happen, and, and would you cut health care? Uh, health care is the one place we don't need to cut. Health care and education cannot be cut. Um, and right now, especially health care. Because right now we're we're in a part of uh, we're in a part of the pandemic right now where uh, we've opened things up and the numbers are going up, but 
we don't know what this thing is going to look like come fall or during our regular flu season. We don't, we don't know what this is going to look like. So we still need to have the systems in place, the resources in place, just in case. Because the worst thing that could happen is we say, oh, it's not a big deal. And we find out it is a big deal and we've already allocated all funds. So. All right, good. Um, so you've, uh, you've been shortened to the point with these answers. We, we do have some more time. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about, whether it's expanding on an issue or just make some general comments to folks that are listening? Oh, well, of course, uh, I've, I've been a, a big advocate for, for expanding Medicare. Of course, you know, um, you know, a lot of people on the other side of the aisle may not feel the same way as I do, but uh, I, I definitely believe that uh, our health care system is something that's imperative. Uh, for our for our economy, for our everyday life, um, I, by the fact we've that we've closed down so many hospitals over the last few years, I think that we have felt the impact now more so than we would have outside of this pandemic. So uh, I think it kind of I think it taught us a lesson. I think it taught us a lesson because um, we want we want all Tennesseans to be healthy because a, a healthy person can, can make more money. A healthy person can make better decisions in life. So, uh, and it all starts with health because, you know, uh, people will, you will, I heard someone say that people will spend their health trying to make money. But once they get to a certain place, they spend all their money trying to restore their health. So we want to take care of our health up front. So that's, that, that's where I am on it. Okay. And, yeah, pardon me, I'm not as as loquacious as many of my colleagues, but. <laughs> hey, you've uh, you've done a great job tonight. Um, thanks for your candor and, and thanks for answering all those questions. Um, good luck to you out there on the campaign trail. And uh, thank we, you so uh, much. We hope to see you down the road. Have a good evening. All right, you too. Thanks for joining us. Um, good evening again, everybody. Uh, let me stop sharing my screen so we can see our candidate. Um, good evening again, everybody. Uh, we are here uh, going into Senate District 32. We've got Senator Paul Rose joining us. Good evening, Senator Rose. Good evening to you, Clint, and to the rest of you. All right. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, we're going to get right to it, Senator Rose. We've got three questions for you. Um, before we do that, I want to point out again that we're joined tonight by our legislative chairman, Dr. George Woodbury. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dr. Woodbury. Um, and uh, Senator Rose, we're going to go ahead and um, start with our questions. Okay. Um, Governor Lee uh, recently issued Executive Order 15. Uh, amongst the provisions in that order include the ability for nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. Uh, what's your position on the expansion of scope of practice for non-physician providers like nurse practitioners and physician assistants? Well, it's been a uh, it's been a process for me. Uh, I've shared with uh, Dr. Woodbury at a, a society meeting, I think uh, maybe a year or so ago, and then when he was in my office, I get all of my healthcare uh, provided by a, a nurse practitioner, and of course she works under the, the supervision of uh, Dr. Craig, and I've been very pleased with the, uh, with the service they've provided. But I kind of, not kind of, absolutely want to share with you. Let me see if I can silence what's going on on my, are y'all hearing that dinging? Anyway, uh, I'm a general contractor, 
and I've got 45 years of experience and I can build a lot of things, but I'm not an engineer and I'm not a, an architect. So when we get ready to build anything uh, of significance or really just about anything, to the professionals, the people who've got the education, the training, and uh, I depend on them to put their name on the dotted line to say, this is how it's got to be built. And my job is to build it. And as much as I appreciate nurse practitioners, and there's a whole lot more of them than there are doctors, but I'm sharing my, my true beliefs. Uh, I, really, I really think your position is the right one. Uh, now, in a pandemic, had this thing really gotten to where some were predicting where there were going to be, you know, three million deaths or whatever. Yes, absolutely. I think in an emergency situation, the governor uh, should be allowed to to do whatever he could to help save lives. It never got to that point, at least in my opinion. It it, it hasn't. I don't think it will. So, uh, I hope my explanation clarifies uh, the analogy with engineers and architects and contractors versus. So that's where I stand. I've read your your policies and uh, your position. And, and uh, I agree, I, I think I'd love some more information another day, maybe on the uh, buprenorphine. Uh, I know that's one issue that I've heard them talk about because of the prevalence of uh, overdosing and whatever that they would have them in, in a life and death situation. So I think there may be some give and take there that uh, just in that area. So that's, that's where I am. Okay. Thank you. Um, we're going to move right into the to the next question. So um, I know you said you work in construction, so you may be looking at this with uh, multiple hats. But um, you know, people are having to make a lot of difficult decisions when it comes to uh, balancing their personal, physical health, or maybe the health of their community with economic health and that desire to get back to business. You know, we hear that phrase a lot, let's right. get the state or the city or uh, wherever back to business. Uh, can you talk about your thought process when you get faced with that type of challenge? Well, of course we were faced with it and uh, our, our company was considered an essential business because of what we do. Uh, whether you agree with that or not, that's the directive that was given by the governor. So we had to put in place, uh, guidelines to make sure we took care of our, our, our employees, our clients, our customers, uh, and the general public. And I've got in my hand a, a 28 item, actually 29 items that we adopted. Some uh, issued by the CDC, some we incorporated, uh, some of the companies we worked for, what they required, and then some things we put in place. Uh, hey, I, I think it's important as we go forward that we're real careful about shutting our economy totally down. Uh, I, it's my opinion that uh, we could do more harm than, than good by doing that and I, I appreciate doctors but it, if you listen to the news, whichever you listen to, you're getting opinions all over the place on what we should do, uh, what we should have done, what we should do going forward. I think for me as a legislator and also as a businessman, I would look at some common sense things that we could do, make sure we protect uh, our most vulnerable population, which seems to be those people that are my age and older that have you know, uh, compromised immune systems. Uh, and I have some belief in this herd uh, uh, immunity. So I'm talking to doctors and you guys may tell me, look, you need to go back to building buildings. But uh, so anyway, that's just some thoughts. Uh, 
I think we've done a lot of harm by shutting down businesses that maybe, maybe, maybe could have remained open with some more. I mean, again, if you go to Walmart, uh, Kroger, you go to Home Depot, uh, Lowe's, people are in there in masses. Uh, and I, I couldn't understand. It seemed like almost like we picked and choose. Uh, you know, again, we were open. Uh, now, a lot of our customers shut us down and wouldn't let us get in their places. But uh, I think looking back and then looking forward, maybe we can do a better job of uh, how we go about shutting down businesses. So hope that answers the question without going around the tree too much. Well, no, that's perfect. Thank you. Um, so kind of staying on the economic front, you know, it's, it's inevitable as, you know, the pandemic continues to put uh, constraints on our uh, economy that uh, revenue is going to experience a shortfall and we're going to have to make um, some difficult decisions uh, likely with next year's budget. So can you talk about well, when it's time to make cuts, how you prioritize that and would you cut healthcare anywhere if so? Well, if you don't mind, I think I can go through it pretty quick. I'd really like to share some of the things that we did uh, during our uh, last legislative session and most of these had to do with with COVID-19 so I, I'm just going to go through these and I can provide you this document but we and, and again when you're talking about adding 9.2 million in recurring funds for adult health care safety net and 3 million in recurring funds that, that's not a lot of money it doesn't go very far I understand that but the, what we did we added 26.5 million to strengthen the safety net for both mental health and health care services 19 million to support the healthcare network, 7.3 million to support the children's behavioral and mental health services, and 3 million to expand the school-based behavioral uh, liaison across the state. If you want me to stop just, I, but I'll go on through these. Uh, fully fund inflationary growth uh, in pen care, additional million, 1 million invested in rural hospital transformation program uh, so they can continue to evaluate their business models uh, and efforts to ensure effective, effectively operation and address healthcare needs that arise under these extraordinary circumstances. In addition, we uh, provided 150 to establish a new fund to cover public health and safety issues uh, related to COVID-19, includes 10 million in small and rural hospital readiness grants. Uh, we also have uh, legislation that helps rural health clinics recruit doctors. Uh, we uh, voted to continue funds to support hospitals, nursing homes, and ambulance services. And on the ambulance services, I, I didn't agree with the amount we approved, but uh, we carried the amount up to enough that uh, the ambulance services can get full funding from the federal government. Now, with all that said, uh, our healthcare system is still woefully underfunded. A lot, of, a lot of discussion on taking the 10 care dollars, but uh, you know the decision was made before I got there. And I actually do support that decision. The federal government would love for us to, to buy into the Obamacare, 10 care uh, policies, but then three years from now, it's all on us to fund it. I don't think we figured out how we could do that. So wish they had all the answers for that but we are doing some things and it is a strong folks got three doctors in our uh, uh on their in our senate uh, 
I sit right next to Dr. Briggs, talked to him earlier today. He'll be in Memphis, uh, Nashville tomorrow, but uh, some great men in there with some great minds, Dr. Hensley and then uh, uh, Dr. Dickerson. So I've uh, got a couple of nurses in there. So I think we're well, and three pharmacists in there. So we're well represented in the medical field. So they're, they're looking out for you, I think, and for the folks that need the health care. Well, good. It's, it's definitely a complex issue and um, we sure. expect uh, uh, easy answers. So um, that's all of our prepared questions. We uh, wanted to leave you some time at the end. If you want to expand on healthcare at all, you're welcome to. If you want to talk about other issues or just speak in general, the floor is yours. Thanks so much. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to share. And, and uh, I, I'm not sure who all's on there. I, I see it. Uh, photo of, of Allison Cook, but I think there are probably a few more on there, but uh, I'm going to ask for all of you doctors that I'm talking to, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Well, good. Well, thank you for what you do. I appreciate the care you provided to me and my family through the years. A couple of things that we did not get done in the last legislative session that uh, I believe will be back in session August 10th. One is uh, COVID liability, which I think is very critical uh, so that whether it's businesses or or doctors or uh, schools, churches, whatever, that are allowing people to come back in to come back to some sort of normalcy have got some uh, extended uh, protection. Uh, as we all know there's plenty of lawyers out there that are willing to sue anyone for anything that they can. And you guys are probably at the top of the list when it comes to that. So I think it's important. The governor thought it, it was. And the biggest thing there is whether or not it's re retroactive. The Senate. Uh, lawyers thought that because of extenuating circumstances, the court would uphold uh, retroactivity. The House did not think so, so they were at an impasse, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I think tempers got out of control. I was not in there when that was going on. Telehealth, uh, another one could come to agreement on where uh, let, let me back up and say we need broadband service all across Tennessee because telehealth is no good if you don't have broadband access. So working toward getting that done. Uh, so if, let's assume we've got broad, uh, broadband access. To be able to call your doctor and, and discuss what's going on, I think it's good use of the, the patient's time and the doctor's. The question is, how are you paid? And there's a question on total parity from now on, a parity for three years, parity for five years. And that's where the discussion, so your input uh, to uh, me and to other legislators is going to be critical. Uh, we will be discussing that August 10th, so I'd love to hear from you what your thoughts are on that. Uh, and, and then another thing that I think is uh, so important in our society today, and I'll get on my soapbox a little bit. Uh, we have a group of people that will take our nation. We see the anarchists, uh, the, the disrespect for law and order. Uh, I'm just sickened by what I'm seeing and I'm thankful for a governor and a legislature for the most part that will not tolerate that. We saw it on the attacks on Nashville when we were there this last session. Uh, of course, you see what's, what's happening in other places in Seattle and Los Angeles and it's, it's so unfortunate. So those things are real near to me. Uh, I think about my, my grandchildren. I, I can ride this out whatever it ends up being, but I think about my grandchildren, uh, what it's going to look like for them. So standing up for uh, our 
law enforcement, our military. Uh, I don't agree with everything that uh, Donald Trump has done. I don't like the way he says it very often, but he's gotten a lot of really good things done. So you need to know as a group that I am a Trump supporter. I'm not a Trump supporter to everything he said, but I like what he's getting done in his platform. Uh, so with that, I, I don't think I have anything else. I just, uh, I will tell you this finally, but a little bit about me. Uh, I'm, I am a Christian, I'm a conservative, I am a Republican, and I try to make all the decisions I make based on my, my genuine faith in the Almighty God. Uh, and I tell others, and it's not new with me, but I stand uh, for the flag and I kneel at the cross. So that's a little bit about who I am. You in any way I can. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Paul, and uh, good luck to you on the campaign trail. Uh, that actually concludes all of our interviews for the evening. I hope you'll join us uh, Thursday for our next candidate uh, session, which will begin at 530. Uh, we'll run down a couple more of the um, districts that have uh, competitive primaries. Uh, thank you, Dr. Woodbury, for joining us. Thank you, Senator Rose, and all of our candidates tonight. And thank you, Allison Cook, uh, for being our uh, producer behind the scenes. Uh, everybody have a good night. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hello again out there. Uh, welcome back uh, to our uh, Meet the Candidates interviews for the general election. I'm Memphis Medical Society CEO Clint Cummins. I'm joined today by Dr. George Woodbury, a dermatologist here in Memphis and the legislative chairman of our organization. Uh, thanks, Dr. Woodbury. Um, thanks. Our, uh, our next candidate uh, guest is uh, Representative John D. Berry, uh, coming to us from uh, District 90. Uh, Mr. D. Berry, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're going to get right to the questions and, uh, and, and try to get you in and out of here soon. Okay. Um, so Governor Lee, uh, over the summer, issued Executive Order Number 15, uh, among the provisions in that include the ability for nurse practitioners to practice with autonomy. What's your position on the expansion of scope of practice for non-physician providers, such as nurse practitioners and physician assistants? Well, I'm very um, happy for the fact that we have such skilled uh, nurse practitioners and physicians assistants and other uh, professional and allied health uh, professionals, but uh, one a position I have held since I was there and, and first took office in 1995 is that while I think that we have provided um, uh, a scope of practice um, uh, provisions for them over the years, uh, the fact still is they are not physicians. I, I am comfortable with the with the fact that, and this is just me. I don't. I I did not research what your position was in order to give my answer. This is the answer I have given for the entire time I have been in the legislature. They are not physicians, and while I believe that they most certainly serve a purpose, and especially in rural and underserved areas, and I know that they are very well trained, very skilled. But here again, they are not physicians. So I'm not comfortable with allowing folks to practice medicine uh, who are not physicians, who do not have a, who are not doctors. Uh, I, I believe that especially the limited oversight that is required by the law uh, should be maintained. That is my position. Um, and 
but it, it has consistently been my position. All right, thank you. Um, we're gonna keep moving on to the next question. Um, so there's a lot of difficult decisions being made today. Um, you know, it started at the beginning of COVID and has continued on that are forcing, you know, business owners, parents, policymakers, all, all sorts of people to balance physical health and community health with that desire to get back to business. Uh, can you talk about your thought process when you're faced with those kinds of challenges? You mean what I am personally faced or I am faced with those issues from constituents? I would say constituent angle. Well, um, I know that we have a health crisis on our hands and, and we have to depend upon our physicians, our researchers and health professionals to uh, kind of guide us through this. Uh, I am concerned, of course, about the economy and the, the mom and pops, the businesses uh, that are affected. I'm concerned about uh, us getting back to normalcy and us getting back to where uh, we can do business. I think that uh, it should be uh, measured. It should be well thought out. It should be um, um, uh, there should be uh, contribution of, uh, from 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 all stakeholders to make those type of decisions. I don't see how we can just do it by uh, decree or just by legislation uh, without uh, those who have a superior knowledge of the virus, of the sickness, uh, of its progression, of where we are with a a, a vaccine. Uh, I think that all of those should be taken into consideration. All right. Um, on a kind of similar note, um, it, due to COVID and just the overall revenue shortfalls for the state, um, we're obviously going to be, you know, faced with some hard decisions about how to, how to handle these revenue decreases and, and face some inevitable cuts. How do you prioritize those cuts and would you cut healthcare spending? Well, I don't see how we can, since this is a health care crisis. I don't see how we can, can cut health care spending. I think that we have to make priorities on those fluff uh, issues. Every year, all of us know there are certain things in the budget uh, that are good, that are uh, good for the citizens, that uh, uh, contribute to the well-being of Tennesseans and possibly our attractiveness uh, to folks who might be bring business into the state but at the same time we've got to get past this crisis we've got to get past this pandemic we've got to get on we've got to get to a place a safe place where we can honestly say that it is it is it is safe to do business in tennessee because we have uh this medical crisis in hand we have it under control and so here again um this is this is one of those issues where we're going to have to depend upon the superior knowledge of our medical professionals uh, to let us know where we are. We know we have to open the state back up. We know we've got to get these businesses open so that they can earn a living and make money, pay taxes. We we know these things have to be done, but they should also be done in such a way that we don't find ourselves ultimately in, in worse condition than we are 
at the moment. I think we're making good progress from what I understand. And, and being a novice and a layman, as far as these issues are concerned, I'm, I'm understanding that we're doing well, that uh, the numbers are decreasing, and so on and so forth. Uh, but here again, um, we've got to make good, sound decisions uh, as we proceed. It just can't be politics as usual. That's only going to get us in a bigger mess. All right. Uh, thanks, Representative DeBerry, for all of your candor and, and sharing your thoughts on that. Um, do you want to take a couple minutes here at the end and, and talk about any other issues or give a general message um, to our organization? Well, I've always tried to work with your organization and your professionals, and as are all the professionals. You know, uh, having been on health, uh, having been on commerce and on finance and children and family, I've dealt with pretty much every medical issue, scope of practice issue uh, over the last 26 years. Uh, I, I have been consistent. I believe that we should continue to improve our health care, our, um, our ability to serve the people of the state of Tennessee. But at the same time, uh, I have been one of those who have been very careful, methodical, uh, on scope of practice uh, issues, because I believe that uh, there are certain schools, there are certain training, uh, there are certain degrees, there are certain certifications for a reason, and they indicate where a person is in their training and in their professional knowledge. And I, I would hope that um, we don't get to the point to where um, we in my opinion, and I don't know what your opinion is, but in my opinion, when we make light of the practice of medicine and that we should keep the practice of medicine strong, we should keep the practice of medicine uh, independent, resilient, uh, so that uh, we can ultimately have uh, good health care. The, the term doctor has been thrown around much too much uh, in too many different places to where it loses its validity. And I would hope that that's something that we will become vigilant about in the future. That all sounds great. Uh, Representative DeBerry, thanks for joining us. I know you were traveling uh, today, so I appreciate you uh, making special time for us. Have a, have a safe trip back and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks Thank you so very much for letting me participate. Thank all you. Right. Hey, podcasters, thanks for listening to Memphis MedCast. If you've got any ideas for future episodes of the podcast, uh, please send them over to info at mdmemphis.org. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Memphis MedCast, a podcast series from Memphis Medical Society. Subscribe to our podcast anywhere you enjoy listening to podcasts or mdmemphis.org.